0: Welcome to The Breakdown with Brodgore and Becky, the weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Brockorp
1: And I'm Becky Scherer.
0: Today we are here with another two-guest episode to break down the recent lawsuit here in Minnesota about President Trump's eligibility, or lack thereof, to be on the ballot in 2024. We are starting the show by talking with Dave Thule, who is one of the signers of a lawsuit claiming that President Trump is disqualified from being on the presidential ballot. We will then be joined by James Dickey a Minnesota attorney with the Upper Midwest Law Center, who will help us break down the legal side of the argument regarding ballot eligibility. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are excited to be joined here by Dave Thule. Dave is a activist, conservative activist, used to be much more actively involved in the Republican Party of Minnesota in supporting Republican candidates. I know Dave from that role, I used to be the deputy chair of the party and was active in a number of campaigns, as was Becky. And Dave was actively involved in, in the party process. Dave took a very principled, a strong position upon the arrival of Donald Trump to the Republican Party. And we're having him on today to talk about his evolution as a conservative, but not supporting Donald Trump. And also talk about his role in a lawsuit that was recently filed that would have an impact on potentially Donald Trump's name being on the ballot in Minnesota. Becky and I had the uh, opportunity to interview Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon for an episode last week. The lawsuit came up in our interview, and we could think of no better resource to talk about that lawsuit than Dave Thule, someone who I consider to be a friend, uh, but also someone who is a principled conservative, someone who sticks by his word. I want to start by welcoming Dave to the podcast and and asking him to talk for a few moments about his evolution as a conservative in this state, his previous involvement as an identified Republican and being active in the party, and what occurred over the last few years that led him to be a part of this lawsuit that could have a huge impact on whether Donald Trump's name appears on the ballot in Minnesota. Take it away, Dave.
2: Thanks for having me on, Michael. Uh, So, I got active in Republican Party politics in Minnesota in 2008. Uh, I was just back from uh, deployment to Iran. Um, And prior to that, I had always been, I always voted, I always paid attention to politics, but never, never active in a party. Um, I got active after Iraq because I saw the uh, the, kind of the disconnect between what the media was telling us uh, about Iraq and what I was seeing firsthand. So, um, in spring of 2008, I Uh, I helped put together a a tea party um, for the local Republican Party. And a couple months later, I was asked to take on a leadership role as co-chair. And I served in that position on and off uh, for most of eight years uh, from 2008 to 2016. Uh, I also served briefly as uh, um, chair of the first district Republican Party uh, and as a delegate to the executive committee. So I served at all levels. I ran for office uh, at one point um and was was very active very dedicated uh to the minnesota republican party uh that changed in uh 2016 um as uh as it became clear that uh trump was going to be the nominee um i was very frank with the uh the local republican party and said if that uh, were to happen i would have to step down Uh, and the reasoning was i guess twofold first uh, part, of the, part of the role of uh, an officer in the party is to advocate for those candidates, right? Uh, to ask people to go out and, and vote for the, the uh, Republican Party candidates. And that was just something that I couldn't do. Uh, I also hope that it was possible that, uh, you know, resigning in protest might get some attention, might make some other people uh, question things. Um, and there was, you know, there was a group of us uh, that tried to do that at the, at the state convention. Uh, ultimately unsuccessful uh, and so i uh i haven't haven't called myself a republican since uh, since um, after the election in
3: 2016.
1: now did you i mean that's I, I mean a relatively brave thing to do, right? I mean here you are. These are your friends you've been working with for almost a decade Um, And you know, it, it it does become a very friendly jovial These are people that you spend time with you have meetings once a month You all believe the same thing was it hard to step away? And did you get much backlash for that in the first place?
2: It was hard to step away. Um, I was amazed by the number of media requests that I got Um, and I was uncomfortable with the attention, honestly. Um, but like I said, it, it, in the service of the idea of, uh, getting a resignation uh, out there, uh, it was something that I had to do, but it was very uncomfortable. I uh, had people that I'd been, you know, friends with for, uh, for the years and i have been involved with, uh, who suddenly, you know, shunned me and, and wanted to have nothing to do with me. And I, I understand that that's their choice, but it was disappointing.
0: Dave, I want to, as always, thank you for your service to our country and in your military service. I want to say to our listeners that politics has a very bad reputation in a lot of circumstances, and they do politics does a lot to let people get that impression. Dave is one of the good guys. He is someone who has always stood for his convictions when it was popular and when it was unpopular to do. I don't think Dave is someone that sticks his finger to in the wind to see which way the winds are blowing to decide which side he should take. He's always been a principled conservative, and when Becky and I were talking about this show, Dave's name has been mentioned very frequently as being a guest, as someone that we wanted to bring in because, in part, I think it's fair to say, uh, Becky can obviously speak for herself, but I think it's fair to say that neither Becky or I are huge fans of Donald Trump. I did not vote for him in 16 or 20 And one of the things we wanted to break down on this podcast, and and the lawsuit gave us an opportunity to do it in a much more, I think, with some borders on the conversation, is to highlight a voice like Dave Thules, who is someone who left the party because of the arrival of Donald Trump. And the stands that he has taken over his life has shown that this is a man of conviction, someone who believes in doing the right thing, even when it's unpopular. And I'm very proud of Dave's work in the past, his role that he took in speaking up about Donald Trump. We in this podcast want to give everybody an opportunity to speak and we will likely have people on this podcast who are incredibly passionate about Donald Trump. But I wanted just to disclose at the beginning or midway through this interview, I should say, that, that where Becky and I align in particular with Dave, because I think it's important for our listeners to, to know that, that where we've stood and where we've, what position we've taken on Donald Trump. Becky.
1: Yeah. So one thing I'm curious about, Dave, so I also did not vote for Trump in, in uh, 2016. Um, in 2020, I, you know, I'd spent three years in Congress. I'd seen some of the stuff that had gotten done. Um, and so I decided I'm going to vote for him. You know, 2020, I came around, I voted for him. Now, obviously, um, things sh- changed shortly after. And uh, I I. I, I absolutely love to regret that decision after january 6th and and was disappointed did did your view of him change at all in those four years in that first term did you have glimpses of like maybe i can get on this guy's side or or were you steadfast against him the remainder no wrong answer i'm just curious
2: sure so there were there were times when i supported uh what donald trump was doing in the list um i am a believer in border wall whether it's a physical wall uh, or it's, it's what, you know, technology that we use. I firmly believe that there has to be some sort of barrier and I supported uh, what, what he was trying to do on that. Um, I supported him when he uh, said that the embassy in in Israel was going to move to Jerusalem. Um, so there were, there were things that he did that I, I passionately agreed with, uh, but the majority of what he did in office, I, I wouldn't have, have supported. Um, I, I never, I never seriously considered uh, voting for him. Um, and I, Want to point out, I didn't vote for the Democrats either, either Hillary or or Joe Biden, uh, because I don't politically align uh, with them either.
1: Now, I'm sorry. Uh, during that time, were you helping, pushing, working for any candidates, either before 2016 or 2020, or just standing for your the policies that you believe in in the Republican Party, maybe?
2: Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't politically active uh, between 2016 and 2020. Honestly, I, I don't think there was any area in the Republican Party that they would have wanted my support. Um, I probably would have been a, a you know a negative uh, for a candidate. Um, I, 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 it, there there weren't any good candidates um, honestly that I, mm-hmm. I felt I could support. Right, well, like I said, I, I I don't align with the Democrats um, and the you know the, the Republicans wouldn't have me. Now I voted mostly Republican. Uh, since then. Uh, I, I'm still a conservative. My beliefs have not changed. Uh, but it's just that the uh, Donald Trump specifically, and some members of the Republican Party, they don't align with my principles anymore.
0: Dave, one of the the Republican Party and having worked for the party in a number of capacities and, uh, and also having served in leadership, the party uh, is relevant in a number of different ways. What I find interesting and also disappointing well, the the shift in the Republican Party is that there used to be more of an opportunity. And I'd be curious if either of you agree or disagree with me. But there used to be more of an opportunity to, to, if you didn't necessarily agree with all the candidates, to have a space that you could work in. And what I've noticed since 16, and it has developed and it's metastasized and become even more serious, is that this is not just the Republican Party. It's the Republican Party of Donald Trump and that space mm-hmm. to work inside the party as a conservative is just it's consumed by everything all Trump one of the concerns that Becky and I have raised about the upcoming election cycle is that if Donald Trump is the nominee he will consume all of the media attention there will be no opportunity i think for republicans to succeed particularly in the state of minnesota with donald trump on the ballot because he's such a corrosive and all-consuming element and I don't know if either of you disagree with my position on that, but at various times in the party, we've had leaders and, and there's been opportunity for disagreement. But it does seem to me that since the arrival of Trump, it's become the Republican Party of Trump, and there's not enough space and respect for people who have principled concerns like Dave Thule to exist in the party. Yeah, I, I would agree
2: with you. and. I want to point out, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think badly of someone if they voted for Trump in, in 16 or 20. Right? They, they were most people looked at the presidential election of I choose this person or I choose that person, um, and it's, you know, it's a it's a simple choice. Um, but obviously January 6 changed all of that, right? It's it's a completely different conversation now. Uh, so the people that are still supporting Trump, um, that really that confounds me. I, I just don't understand it at all. Uh, But you're right. This this has become the party of Trump Um, to the point where in in 2020, um, you recall, uh, Minnesota had their first presidential primary, uh, except we didn't on
0: the Republican side because there was only one name that was allowed to be on the ballot. And that was Donald Trump. I'm not asking if you're supporting another candidate for president right now, but if Donald Trump was not the nominee by some circumstance, would you feel more comfortable coming back to the party? Potentially, again, I, I don't know if I'd be welcome, but
2: I, I would certainly try. Um, there are, you know, there are several candidates uh, in that are running for uh, the Republican nomination. That, um, if uh, you know, if I had the opportunity, that I would support. I plan to vote in the Republican presidential primary coming um, up you know, next year. I don't know if it'll do much good, but I certainly plan to. And and yeah, if if Trump were not on the ballot, I think that would change the dynamics uh, quite a bit.
0: Let's pivot to the lawsuit that you put your name on. Describe what the lawsuit does, how you became involved in that process, and what you're hoping to accomplish by filing that suit with the Minnesota Supreme Court.
2: Sure. So the lawsuit uh, at its core is fairly simple.
0: Uh, it says
2: that on January 6th, Donald Trump organized uh, an insurrection and gave aid and comfort uh, to the same. And by the plain text reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, he is disqualified from holding office again at its core that is as simple as it gets now it's certainly not that simple um the uh, the legal petition that was submitted is 84 pages long it lays out uh in in granular detail uh the reasons that we believe that uh, what donald trump did on january 6 uh, qualifies for the word insurrection um our our intent our hope uh, is that um, the uh, Minnesota uh, Supreme Court uh, would agree with that uh, and would uh, have a finding that uh, Donald Trump is not eligible to be on the ballot because he's not able, not eligible uh, to hold office again.
1: Now, there's a number of different um, signers to this uh, to this lawsuit. Um, can you speak a little bit about how the group? Came to be. Um, I think it's a, a good variety of folks from different backgrounds. And if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got on this with a former Supreme Court justice,
2: yeah, that was that was a that was interesting. Uh, I was contacted by uh, someone I used to work with in the party um, and described uh, a, a potential effort coming together and asked if I would be interested. And I certainly was. Um, this is the type of issue that if I had any legal training myself, I would have probably tried to take it on myself and certainly glad I don't have to, because uh, I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV uh, and it's incredibly complex uh, what the legal team is, uh, is doing. Um, I, I don't know any of the other petitioners, uh, personally. Um, I've, I've never, never worked with them. Um, I'm honestly kind of surprised that uh, I, uh, that the, the amount of media attention that i'm getting when you consider that there's a, a former uh, state supreme court justice and a former secretary of state um those are those are the two names that you know most everybody uh and that's politically connected politically connected would know um but again our our effort is is focused solely in in minnesota and it's focused solely on january 6th we just talked about you know my uh, my opposition to trump um, that's not part of what this is about. This is specifically about January 6th, the insurrection, um, what his actions uh, that he took in the, the run up to it and his inactions, uh, on the date of January 6th, you can spin a lot of different theories about what was going on. It was Antifa, it was the FBI, whatever you want to say. But the fact that for three hours, Donald Trump did nothing, took no action to stop the mob at the Capitol, um, that to me meets the standard of comfort.
1: As Michael mentioned, we did talk to Secretary of State Steve Simon last week. Um, during that interview, we we chatted a little bit about how there was a similar suit that had been filed in Colorado, and Trump's team had made the request for that to move that um, from state to federal court. Obviously, every state's different, how this plays out. Again, I know you're not an attorney, but is there any insight that you've gotten from your conversations um, of of the path forward or any timing that that you may be able to share?
2: Um, no other than uh, we expected it would move quickly. Um, as, as the secretary Simon talked about, there is a a known legal process in Minnesota for what, for what we're trying to do. We've had candidates been disqualified from uh, the ballot before. So I think obviously this is much higher profile. This is a presidential rank than a a state uh, legislator. Um, But the process is there. So hopefully it will go fairly quickly. Um, The intent is to get this question decided as quickly as possible. Um, So that um, the Republican Party then can make, um, you know, do whatever they need to do then going into an election year. If Donald Trump is not
0: eligible, he's found to be not eligible to be on the ballot. The other distinguished Minnesotans who signed on to this lawsuit are former DFL Secretary of State Joan Grow and former Minnesota Supreme Court Justice Paul Anderson. Dave, I'm not surprised that you got as much media attention as you have for a couple of reasons. Number one, no disrespect to former Secretary of State Joan Grow, but it's honestly not that surprising that a former DFL Secretary of State would weigh in on this. Justice Anderson, retired Justice Anderson, a little bit more surprising. But what's so compelling and interesting about speaking with you is the fight you've taken long before January 6th. You were one of the, there's not, there is a, a number of people who can say that they were bamboozled or hoodwinked by Donald Trump's speeches and his positions and were eventually won over by him. But you've taken a principled position since 2016. And you raised the alarm bell very early about what the potentials of electing someone and endorsing and supporting someone like this for president could do. So that's why I know that I wanted to speak with you because your evolution to where we are today and your backstory is so rich and compelling And it needs to be explained and it needs to be discussed and our listeners need to hear that because you're just not a partisan who's putting their name on a lawsuit and trying to get the president removed. You've taken a series of principal positions that led you to today or led you to this interview and led you to being involved in this lawsuit. So it's not surprising to me that you're getting in all these calls for media because uh, it's very unique what you've done. And whether people agree or disagree with your name being on this lawsuit, one thing they can say about Dave Thule is that he doesn't stand by his principles.
2: Thank you, that's uh, that's very nice of you to say. Um, this isn't something that I wanted to do. I, I was reluctant uh, to do this, but I think it's the right thing to do and I think it has to be done. Um, the feeling that I and I think most other Americans had the day of January 6th, watching the footage of the mob assault the police officers going into the Capitol building, uh, going into um, where the, you know, where the Congress uh, was in session, uh, just minutes before, um, that, that leaves a mark that, that, uh, that memory will never go away of that feeling of disgust, uh, and hopelessness. Um, and honestly, I, I, would, I would, I think the only other event, uh, in, in modern history, uh, that most Americans would connect that to is 9 11, where we saw live on TV. Um, what was happening uh, in the, the absolute devastation. And to people that would say, well, what Trump didn't do, what Trump did was not insurrection. I challenge you, uh, again, to watch some of the footage, to watch the American flag being torn down and the Trump flag uh, being put up in its place, uh, to watch the number of Trump supporters that were there that day. And the comments that he made in the days up leading up to it Uh, And again, his inaction uh, on that day, and and I challenge anyone to to tell me how that doesn't meet uh, the criteria for insurrection.
0: There is a political reality, though, that would happen if Trump's name was removed from the ballot in Minnesota. And I guess I'd ask this question to both you and Becky. You both have experience in working in campaigns in Minnesota. What does an election cycle look like in Minnesota? if Donald Trump's name is not on the ballot, but his name appears in other places? And before you answer, I do think that Secretary Simon offered some insight as to the trajectory of where this case goes. And it's ultimately to the United States Supreme Court, who will make potentially a final decision as to whether Trump's name will be on all or any ballots across the country. What does an election cycle look like without Donald Trump's name on the ballot in Minnesota, where there's no presidential candidate that Republicans can vote for, they would have to write his name in how does that help or hurt the Republican effort statewide? And, and also on the flip side, does it help the Democrats or hurt the Democrats to not make a boogeyman out of Donald Trump?
1: Um, I'll start here. Um, I think you can look at it very differently, um, for, for two ways. I think if Donald Trump's name is removed from the ballot, um, uh, because of, of this lawsuit and others, the Supreme Court deems that, not saying that I'm not supportive of this. um, But I think in that situation, enough Republican voters would stay home that it would impact the other Republican tickets negatively. I think if Donald Trump was not on the ballot because he dropped out of the race or um, somebody else won a nomination or for whatever that reason, um, I think that, Those people navigating properly, as we talked about, having to work in that MAGA lane a little bit, um, I think they could still have potential. So while I'm not saying I it's this is nothing against my personal views of a lawsuit and removing Donald Trump from the ballot, um, but I do think that because of this environment that it's the Republican Party of Donald Trump, as you mentioned earlier and we discussed, I think that those... Cure Donald Trump voters that we saw him get out that hadn't come out in a while for us. I believe there would be a significant number that stay home that would impact those down ballots.
2: So Dave, that's you. interesting. I guess I'm putting on my political hat for a minute. Um, I would expect um, somewhat the opposite reaction. I th- I would think for the for the person who is a passionate Donald Trump supporter, and who's uh, who who's not on the ballot i would think there would be an intense effort then um, to support somebody else uh, and and kind of get their rich nation that way um, I, I, we, you can what is it um, i think uh, quite a bit but regardless uh, to me I'm not focused on the political questions that come out of this i'm focused on doing what's right and i i think so i i had this conversation with my wife um I, I i think the question whether or not do you move forward with an effort to the lawsuit that we're, we're doing um there are negative consequences if you do it there are negative consequences if you don't do it very much like when the conversations we were having with um should uh, should a former president be indicted uh in in federal court negative if you do it Negative if you don't do it um but I think the default position should be uh, trying to follow the law and follow the constitution as closely as possible. Um, so, yeah, the the political ramifications, I I don't know. I, I we we could speculate, and and uh, yeah would probably
0: be more successful in your fantasy football league than than that type of speculation. Let me just be clear: you would not be more successful than Becky. But you, you try to be more than me. But you certainly would be more successful than Becky. Um,
1: but I think that's an important distinction of of going into this lawsuit. You're not looking at those. The, you you have to look at this at you know the at the case in hand. Um, and and I think that's appropriate. I, and and again, mine I hope mine didn't come across against what you're doing at all. I just think that that from my perspective, because I do, I, you're right there. I think there are people that are going to come out and vote because Trump would not be on the ticket. I tend to believe some of those people catch swing back right on the down ballot tickets or uh, uh, candidates, but I mean, who knows?
0: Dave, the clause in the 14th Amendment that you're referring to, that's the basis of this lawsuit, help me understand and maybe explain to our listeners, Donald Trump has not been convicted of insurrection in any way. And one of the pushbacks on this is that you're holding him guilty or you're holding him accountable for something that he has not been found guilty of. Explain to our listeners your position on that answer or that question. The 14th Amendment was passed a few years after the Civil War.
2: It was intended to prevent those who had uh, participated in uh, the Confederacy uh, from holding office in in Congress or any office uh, in the federal government. I, I understand uh, the question of he hasn't been convicted yet. Um, but if you think about it, nobody after the civil war was convicted of serving in the confederacy, right? There, there was not a necessary, um, requirement for that to, to happen. Everybody knew, uh, and, and it was, it was a simple matter that way. Um, it, there, I guess there's, there's all sorts of of potential decisions that the uh, state Supreme Court uh, could come up with, or the U.S. Supreme Court if it goes that far. Um, One of them may be that, you know, they feel that a conviction is necessary. Um, I I don't know, I'm I'm not a lawyer. Um, But again, I think any reasonable person looking at what happened on January 6th
0: um, should be able to come to the conclusion that that was an attempted insurrection. I would agree with you. It was a terrible day, and I think that the actions of Donald Trump on that day. Again, I'm not a lawyer. Haven't played one on TV. We do have one person on this podcast right now who did attend one year of law school (laughs) and can provide some legal analysis. And she's the podcast chief legal analyst, aside from being the voice of reason on this podcast. But I I can't explain the legal ramifications or what's going to be decided in court. What I can say to you is that there's a number of things. That donald trump has done that should disqualify him from being a candidate for president of the united states and i think that you have pursued true to your convictions a legal scenario by which he could be disqualified from running for office i have frequently said that donald trump is like a relative that just stays too long and <laughs> republicans need to tell him to hit the road on so many issues and Yes, I hear from people about the positive things that Donald Trump did, Supreme Court justices and other stuff. But the reality is that I think he will hinder Republicans' chances of retaking the Senate. He will help Democrats retake control of the U.S. House of Representatives, and particularly in Minnesota, it will be very difficult for for there to be oxygen for Republicans to make any legislative gains with Donald Trump on the ballot. Now, Dave... True to your convictions and true to your principles and the way that you lead, that's not really a factor right now in why you filed this lawsuit or you were a part of this lawsuit. But That's a consideration and analysis that we like to break down on this show. One other question I have for you is this, and this has come up. I've heard a number of people that are not supportive of Donald Trump bring up this lawsuit, not your particular lawsuit, but the lawsuits that are fanning out across the country related to this. And their argument is basically this look one of the problems with donald trump supporters is that they feel the system is out to get them that they feel disenfranchised they feel that the election was stolen and if you file a lawsuit like this and disqualify donald trump from the ballot you're only adding more fuel to this belief amongst many of his supporters that he's the target of some conspiracy he's the target of the deep state and that the tentacles of government are trying to block him from running for office. What's your take on how this could impact if he is removed from the ballot? What that could do to all of his supporters who expected him to be on the ballot? I think it's important
2: to note that um, neither I or anyone else uh, involved with the lawsuit are trying to disqualify Donald Trump from the ballot. He disqualified himself on January 6th. Uh, we're simply trying, trying to follow the Constitution, um, but uh, again, um, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right? Um, I, I, we talked uh, about the you know the legal issues. Trump's been indicted um, on multiple felonies. Um, it's entirely possible that that Trump is not able to be uh, on the ballot because he's in jail, uh, or I don't know if that would prevent him from being on the ballot. But uh, if if he's in prison, uh, it's going it to be kind of tough to be president at the same time. Um, I under, understand, uh, but I think I think the the idea that Trump is getting railroaded, or it's the deep state, or something like that. Uh, I think that's more of a political calculation of Trump and, and his campaign staff so that no matter what happens, um, Trump gets the gets the outcome that he wants in, in Trump world, he can't lose, right? He, 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 he didn't lose the 2020 election right? that's that's their belief, even though there is no evidence uh, to support that. So if if someone has someone has a belief that's not rational, uh, I don't I don't know
0: that there's much you can do to convince them otherwise. What I find so interesting in this interview is, Dave, you have a tremendous political acumen and background. What I've come to realize from talking to you in this interview is how little politics and the ramifications of what could happen to Donald Trump if he's not on the ballot played into that and into your decision to be a part of this lawsuit. It's really remarkable. You, I think a lot of people would... Have thought that someone with your political background is this is pure politics that this is all about an agenda that you have or and it really seems to be and I'm not surprised by that, but it's just I think it's interesting in this interview, how little thought you've given to the political ramifications of this and and really entertaining that to you. This is a very principled position about what should be done. It's It's a matter of right and wrong. It shouldn't surprise me. I don't think it should surprise Becky based on your reputation and experience in the party. But I'm just glad that our listeners were able to, as we answered questions throughout their interview, get a, get an idea as to what the character is of Dave Thule. And this is someone who is, who's put themselves out there. I'm sure you're getting some criticism for doing this. I'm sure you're taking some heat. Uh, Dave has got some broad shoulders. He can carry that heat. But I can think of no one better that we could have had on and talk about this from the side of being an advocate of this suit than you dave because of the positions that you've taken over the years because i know you're just a good conservative at heart but someone who believes in right and wrong and that's why that's i believe even more that's what led you to get involved in this suit
2: yeah exactly again this is not something in a perfect world that i would want to do right uh, i'm i'm not i'm not someone who craves attention uh, i'm an introvert i'd rather sit in the background um, but this is something I have to do, much like I volunteered to go to Iraq because I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, so I, I feel very much the same here. I, I swore an oath uh, every time I enlisted and re-enlisted to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And in my mind, I didn't stop being held by that oath because I'm retired from the National Guard that, that lives with me
0: until the day I die. Dave, what is the, in closing, before we go here, what's the next step in the legal process for you filed the case with the Minnesota Supreme Court? Do you have any idea on the timing, whether the course the court is going to hear your case and what any potential timing is on any lawsuit that, that you've filed here?
2: Um, so that gets into the, the legal area, which I'm not an expert at. But my understanding is that uh, we're hoping to have um, something from the court, um, whether the state supreme court looks at it directly, or they appoint somebody uh, to to look at it. Um, no idea yet if there would be testimony required to be given, uh, or if this is you know s- simply a matter that the, the court discusses and and makes a ruling. Um, I I honestly I, I don't know. So I I guess when uh, when uh, when the court uh, lets us know, that's when I'll know something.
1: Well, I really appreciate you coming with uh coming to join us this week. I think that this is super interesting. I appreciate uh, again, as we've as Michael has said, I think that this is um, you know, a, a true testament to who you are and what you believe. Um, I hope, you know, that whether it's because Trump does not win. He's not allowed on the ballot. Whatever the case may be, I hope you come back to the Republican Party after the era of Trump. I know that Michael and I are, you know, I, me more than him, dip our toes back in. Um, And, you know, I certainly have... Faith that the Republican Party will come back around and our candidates, I know, our policies and what the Republican Party as a whole believe in are strong and uh, deserve good people like yourself in it. So um, hopefully we can all move on at some point and uh, really appreciate you giving us some insight to all your efforts here. And as things progress, hopefully we can chat more with you.
2: Um, Appreciate you guys having me on and and being able to have a a little bit more in-depth conversation some of the the media stuff is really uh, you know quick hit. so uh, it's it's good it's good to talk about it. It's good to, I think understand uh, the rationale and the you know the why and and uh, like I said,
0: hopefully we will uh, be hearing something from the uh, uh, state Supreme Court. We will post links in the in this episode, depending on how we promote it. We'll promote links to the lawsuit and links where people can find out more information and where people can follow. Dave, just in closing, I want to say to you, I really appreciate you coming on for all the reasons that Becky described. And if there's ever, we would certainly welcome the opportunity for you to come back on to give updates on this lawsuit, but also just to opine. You are a voice that is someone that we need to elevate. And I think Becky and I identify a lot with the road that you've taken And this is our podcast, and we get to make the rules and we get to elevate voices that we want to elevate. And so I hope that you would consider sometime down the road as we get into the presidential election cycle, even though that your role, you've identified who you are and where you are in this race, to offer some analysis and commentary or other things on the presidential cycle. I think you have an insightful perspective that needs to be elevated. And I hope you'd consider coming back aside from just talking about the lawsuit, but also on talking about the Republican Party, where they need to go coming into the election cycle, I think there's a lot of things that you could offer. And so I hope you put some thought in maybe considering uh, some of those invitations, sir. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, guys.
1: We are excited to be joined now with James Dickey. James is an attorney here in Minnesota and with the Upper Midwest Law Center. Um, and James, we wanted to bring you in to kind of chat through the legal argument side of things when it comes to this lawsuit about Trump's eligibility or lack thereof on the Minnesota ballot, but also nationwide. So James, why don't you start out? Can you explain to us a little bit about the Upper Midwest Law Center and how you got involved in, in your background?
3: sure thanks for having me on becky and michael really appreciate the time Um, upper midwest law center is a nonprofit, 501 501c3 public interest law firm here based in golden valley minnesota Um, we bring lawsuits against government overreach and abuse uh, on a pretty consistent basis Uh, some of the lawsuits that you may have heard about us related to are the lawsuit against the defunding of the minneapolis police where the minnesota supreme court held that mayor fry must uh, hire at least 731 officers, or at least make every effort to do so. Um, that's one of them. And um, so we constantly are are trying to take cases on behalf of citizens of Minnesota, often where they don't have uh, the ability to hire their own lawyers, uh, You know, pay a private lawyer to take up those important cases. Um, I started working at the Upper Midwest Law Center full-time in July of 2020. I'm the senior counsel there. I've been there, uh, like I said, since then. So about three years and change, uh, before that I've, I've been working as outside counsel for them since their inception though. And, uh, I'm really happy to be able to do the work that I do. It's, it's a fun, a fun job for sure. And I get to be involved in a lot of really interesting discussions like this one. Um, and, uh, yeah, so thanks again for having me on.
1: And now, just for a point of clarification for our listeners, you're not involved in this in this current lawsuit that's moving forward, are you?
3: No, I just, uh, you know, have opinions about the legal issues, really. (laughs) That's pretty much it.
1: Perfect. So we we already talked to um, Dave Thule, one of the signers for the lawsuit. So from your reading and understanding of this, um, can you speak a little bit to the legal argument that these um, plaintiffs have brought forward, this lawsuit that claims that Donald Trump is ineligible, has is disqualified from appearing on the 2024 ballot?
3: Sure. Yeah. First of all, I want to begin by saying that the uh, individual petitioners are highly respectable People, I have great respect for former Secretary of State Grohl, former Supreme Court Justice Anderson, and uh, Dave Thule, and others who are very intelligent people, and they've—they uh, are certainly entitled to their opinions and viewpoints. Um, and my 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 role here is not to talk about really my own personal viewpoints, but really just the law. And as far as having researched this issue, looked at the Fourteenth Amendment Section Three to the U.S. Constitution, I really don't see any way to keep. Pre- former President Trump off of the 2024 ballot if he is nominated um, or runs as an independent or whatever he does. Um, the the amendment itself states that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, and I'll skip forward, under the United States if they've taken an oath uh, and then have then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States or given aid or comfort to the enemies of the united states but congress may by a vote of two-thirds of each house remove essentially the action of that entire subsection of the constitution um so first of all i don't believe that under the historical the cases that exist from around the same time that when the 14th amendment was enacted um and based on historical context for what is a rebellion or insurrection that there's there's any really strong argument that President Trump engaged in rebellion or insurrection against the United States. And I also, uh, I don't think even the petitioners in this case are making any argument that he's given aid or comfort to the enemies of the United States. But in in terms of this, uh, the concept of engaged in rebellion or insurrection, there's some major flaws with uh, with the argument that the petitioners in this case have made. Um, So, First of all, I think that when you're looking at what is a rebellion or insurrection, you have to look at historical context. You've got uh, obviously, the Civil War is a great example of a rebellion or insurrection. President Lincoln literally brought forth the entire national army because they had to in order to uh, put the South back in its place and uh, and and preserve the Union at all costs. But if you look at, you know, for example, around the time of the founding, when our country was a fledgling republic, and didn't have um, significant infrastructure, far less than did even in the Civil War. If you look at the Whiskey Rebellion, as an example, from 1794, in that case, it was, that was where uh, American whiskey producers objected to a tax. It was like a nine cents per, <laughs> per gap, that barrel of whiskey or something, uh, the kind of tax that we look at it with like, oh, what's that today? Uh, But that rebellion resulted in substantial violence across the western portion of the country at the time, which was western Pennsylvania uh, and and similar locations. And at one point, as part of that rebellion, an angry mob marched to drums to the house of a wealthy landowner and tax collector who was being protected by American soldiers. They fought with American soldiers for hours, set fire to buildings, and the soldiers then surrendered. And President Washington then eventually called forth the militia to put down the rebellion. He assembled more than 12,000 men from surrounding states in eastern Pennsylvania as federal militia to stop the rebellion. Um, There's also a law review article that I think is very interesting. Uh, I think they're concluding correctly, but but they have an interesting perspective from um, professors Michael Stokes Paulson of St. Thomas Law School and William Baud, and uh, and they argue that Trump is... uh, is ineligible to serve and should not be on the ballot. But but some of the examples they give, I think, actually show a distinction that they probably didn't intend. Um, and so uh, some examples that they give in that case were pre- uh, President Grant in 1871 uh, invoked the Insurrection Act. So we're talking about what the meaning of an insurrection is um, to secure order in South Carolina, defeating the, the KKK. In 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 Louisiana in 1872, he uh, there there were after a contested gubernatorial election, white supremacists attempted to overthrow the elected Reconstruction Republican government, which culminated in the infamous uh, Colfax massacre of April 13, 1873. And in that situation, a white mob attacked and massacred perhaps 150 black citizens who had been defending a courthouse in Colfax, Louisiana. Um, and the Reconstruction Republican government. And President Grant invoked the Insurrection Act as an authority to suppress the insurrection that sought to overturn the election result. And there are other examples like that that I don't need to get into every single historical detail. But there are, I think, documented cases throughout history of what are really insurrections or rebellions against this country. And the actions of those who assembled before the Capitol, rioted, stormed the Capitol, uh, while shameful in and of themselves, never really presented a serious threat to overthrow any government, absent some kind of intervention. Um, and so, you know, clearly they were intended to disrupt the certification of the election of Joe Biden's uh, victory in the election, but they were never to the level of a a rebellion or insurrection that would actually cause this provision to be triggered if it's still a live provision. So that's that's issue number one. That I see with their arguments. Number two is that the provision itself is not self-executing according to contemporary case law. And uh, I'm specifically referring in this instance to the time where uh, the case called Griffin's case, where then Chief Justice of the United States, Samuel Chase, was sitting by designation in the circuit court in the District of Virginia this is in 1869, right after the passage of the ratification of the 14th Amendment. And Chief Justice Chase held in Griffin's case that, in fact, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment had to be activated by an act of Congress after the passage of the 14th Amendment and applied in particular to any individual. That it's not a self-executing standalone provision that just exists out there. And can be um, act, you know, can be, can be used at any moment, absent an action of Congress. So, if Congress were to act today, then my argu- the argument would change, of course. But Congress hasn't done anything to say, President Trump, you're off the next ballot. Uh, surely they impeached him, but he was acquitted. That's the only the only uh, evidence related to Trump uh, in terms of insurrection or rebellion is his acquittal. So, it's not very good evidence that the Congress has done anything to cause that to, um, to happen. Another problem from the legal perspective is the express, uh, removal of the quote unquote disability of article uh, of um, sorry, 14th amendment, section three in the amnesty act of, um, 1898. And that amnesty act of 1898 was passed by more than a two thirds majority of both houses. And it said, We are removing the disability related to the 14th amendment that's it was very open-ended blanket statement so i think that there's a good argument that the 14th amendment section 3 is a dead letter entirely um and there's one other argument that uh just general general point is that the um 14th amendment doesn't specifically mention president as an office from which you can be disqualified uh, from appearing on the ballot or from, from being eligible to hold office. It mentions a lot of different, um, offices. So I'll go back and take a look at the text here. And it says, um, no person shall be a Senator or representative or elector of president or vice president, or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state. It doesn't mention president. And in other, uh, statutes under the United States code, uh, and, and, Um, Professor uh, Josh Blackman and and Seth Tillman have made this argument, so it's not my original argument or anything. But in other um, provisions of the United States Code and in the Constitution itself, like in the Appointments Clause, um, the president is specifically named. Uh, And and so the president is not generally held to be a quote-unquote officer of the United States, just in the abstract. So there's an argument to be made that when it comes to the president's office this particular provision would not be a um applicable to the president to, so to sum, and to summarize i think there's a good reason why um and the supreme court has weighed in on you know people the individual elector every one of us is an elector and, and it weighed in on the right of, of people to choose who they want to be their nominee to be their president and uh in a case called reynolds versus sims the supreme court said this the right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is of the essence of a democratic society, and any restrictions on that right strike at the heart of representative government. So there's a a, a really deeply undemocratic uh, aspect to this case in that it attempts to stop people who, you know, they want to put this guy on the ballot, they want to, you know, put him in the in the White House. It stops them from having the opportunity to do that, and I think that uh, it's it's always going to be very carefully scrutinized by any court whether the minnesota supreme court or the u.s supreme court um, as to whether or not you can keep someone like president trump off the ballot james so, so, oh
0: go ahead go ahead Michael. Michael. no go ahead
1: um so m- my that was a lot of great information and I, I love the historical aspects of of a lot of this because i think that is really what legal arguments are is is the precedence and and what comes from that um so essentially absent any um action by congress or any legal conviction of um maybe even convicting trump of insurrection you find this far-fetched that he would be removed from the ballot
3: yeah i don't think it'll happen and again i have great respect for the plaintiffs and the petitioners in this case um and i also have great respect for the justices of the minnesota supreme court and um i really just i know they're very serious-minded people or fair jurists and i just don't see them taking this i think an extreme step to keep someone like president trump off the ballot um in this particular case, so again, I, I think that it's uh, an interesting legal argument, right? Le- legal issue. I, I'm always interested in cases like this that pop up, um, but I don't think that at the end of the day, the Minnesota Supreme Court or the United States Supreme Court is going to do anything and hold that President Trump should not be on the ballot in Minnesota.
0: James, the Minnesota Supreme Court has scheduled hearing scheduled a hearing on this matter in November. The Trump will the Trump campaign be required to come in and argue they should be on the ballot who argues the opposing side to this
3: well i would be shocked if they didn't um i don't know if the trump campaign is going for sure is going to do anything um i would expect that they would because the respondents i i I believe the minnesota republican party is going to put in a response on september 27th um And there was a quote I saw from uh, Chairman David Hand saying, you know, that they're planning on doing something or other. Um, The other respondent is Secretary of State Simon, who has said, you know, he's not taking any position on whether Trump should be on the ballot. He's just the respondent in this case, because under the particular statute, Minnesota Statute 204B.44, he's responsible for, you know, creating statewide ballots. And so therefore, he's a respondent in the case. Um, but I mean, I would be shocked if the Trump campaign did not intervene and that's what I think you'd call it as intervention and the Supreme court, as you said, I think they said hearing for November 2nd, if that's the case, you know, there's plenty of time between now and then for if the Trump campaign intervenes for them to, uh, grant the intervention and then, uh, and then take their, you know, make their arguments as to why president Trump should be allowed on the Minnesota ballot for the upcoming primary and then the general election.
0: Independent of what happens in Minnesota, one of the the one of the scenarios that Secretary Simon opined about again rec- recognizing and respecting his role in this is that this ultimately gets to the Min- United States Supreme Court and they will decide a universal standard. Do you agree with that what Secretary Simon had said which is that this will end up at the US Supreme Court? Who will determine? They will determine if Trump's names appear
3: on any or all ballot or ballots across the state. I think I think it's almost certain that that's going to happen. I think he's probably right because we're talking about the definition and um, meaning of the Fourteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The Supreme Court is always the last word on federal issues like the Fourteenth Amendment, and so uh, I think that as a matter of course, if let's say the uh, Let's say the Minnesota Supreme Court disagrees with me um, and and adopts the arguments of the petitioners and says Donald J. Trump cannot be on the Minnesota ballot for the 2024 election. I, I guarantee that there would be an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court from the Minnesota Supreme Court, which is um, one uh, possibility. If you if you lose in the state's highest court and you have a federal issue that you've raised in your argument, then you are entitled to an appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And while the U.S. Supreme Court takes very few cases about one to four percent of cases depending on the year uh, from those who that are appealed this is certainly the type of case that they would they would jump in and, and they probably would even issue emergency rulings to make sure that you know there's no um, prejudice to anyone including the state processes for putting people on the ballot. So I think it would move very swiftly uh, depending on when the Minnesota Supreme Court makes a decision to go to the U.S Supreme Court. James, I'm not a lawyer. I
0: haven't played it on TV, but I do have a question about timing and process. One thing I do know is that the legal system moves very slowly. We're coming into a we're coming into 2024. We're going to be voting here relatively soon in some states. Right, if, right after sometime in, in January, some of the states are going to start voting for president. Can you lay out and explain to our listeners a little bit of the timetable from? Obviously, we have a hearing coming up November second in Minnesota, but right. give a timetable on when Minnesota decides and kind of the process of this getting to the U.S. Supreme Court. Potentially, before we get a final answer, that's not going to be a quick process, is it?
3: Well, usually you'd be one hundred percent correct. Um, I, I always tell that. our
0: yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know, I always tell our our clients just the, the wheels of justice turn slowly and then much more slowly than you really think. Uh, and that's true for about 95% of cases. That most cases are very slow moving. You file a complaint, the other side answers, and there's motion practice, and the court will take months to decide whether who win whether the government wins or the defendant wins, and if on a motion dismissed, for example. And then if you win those, if you're the plaintiff, then you go back and through the whole system again, you go through discovery and summary judgment. It takes years sometimes to get to the end of a lawsuit. However, um minnesota statute 204b.44 is a very unique procedure designed specifically related to elections and on election issues the minnesota supreme court works extremely fast um and an and emergency uh, relief is always available for uh like if, if the supreme court held like i said that if they disagreed with me and said you know this actually does have merit and he can't be on the ballot uh, the u.s supreme court sometimes issues emergency stays and other things like that within just days or even hours. Um, So uh, in this particular instance, what the Minnesota Supreme Court has done, so this case was filed September 12th, and they're setting a hearing date for less than two months from that on November 2nd. That gives them an opportunity to have read all the pleadings and everything, and basically, probably already mostly hashed out what they they think is the right result, pending the arguments of counsel, which they always do, of course, consider. Um let me give you a quick analogy to another case that I was involved in. I already mentioned the Minnes- the Minneapolis police case that we that we uh brought to the Minnesota Supreme Court eventually. Um we ended up we were we lost in the court, we won in the district court, we lost in the court of appeals, reversed in the court of appeals, and then we asked the court to take expedited consideration because we had a 1 year deadline from the date of the district court decision for the mayor and city council to comply with the, what was then the writ of mandamus that was issued. So all that legally aside, what happened was we appealed on March 17th uh, of 22. And then um, the, we also moved the court to expedite the review. They did so and they set up a hearing, they granted review, they expedited review, they set up a hearing date uh for June 9th of 2022. The the briefs were all due on, I think it was May, May 3rd, May 17th, and May 24th. And so it was all this you know crunched up time and then we argued the hearing on june 9th in the minnesota supreme court and then the court made an initial order and decision on june 20th 11 days later uh and in that you know in that case they they held that the mayor has a duty to to hire up at least 731 cops in minneapolis um and that was uh again 11 days from the date of the hearing so in this particular case going back to the case from by analogy i would be very surprised if it took them more than a week or two to issue an order. At least an initial order saying whether the case has merit or not um and then they they usually what they do is follow up with a decision maybe a month or two later a full decision if they if they intend to issue one so i expect in this case while the wheels of justice often turn slowly like i say i do think that the court will work very quickly relatively speaking in this case and have a decision before december i would think i've been wrong about that before (laughs) i I, uh, I I had a case in front of the Minnesota Supreme Court related to a ballot question, uh, which is also a 204B.44 case, and it took them several months to make that decision, um, even though the case had been granted an accelerated review. So there are contrary examples that I acknowledge, but I do think they're going to move really quickly in this one.
0: Once the Minnesota Supreme Court decides how quickly and is it is the next step in the U.S. Supreme Court?
3: It is. Yeah.
0: Because that process. Explain that for just our listeners.
3: Yeah. So um, what will happen? I mean, let's just let's just pick a number out of the date out of the hat here and just say the Minnesota Supreme Court issues a decision on December 1st. Right. And then you got the primary coming up in. I don't remember when Minnesota's primary is off the top of my head. Is it March or something like that Uh, around Super Tuesday? Um, It's February. Yes. Okay. good. Yeah, I'm, I'm not up to speed on that, but. Um, so, so they got, you know, two months or so. What'll happen immediately is that if, let's say Trump is, is held to be ineligible for the Minnesota ballot, then the U S then the, the, the Trump campaign at that point, will almost certainly, if not the Republican party of Minnesota as well, immediately petition the U S Supreme court for a writ of certiorari. And they'll also apply to the U S Supreme court uh, for an emergency stay. And I, and I, I don't, I don't know all the details behind. Like in the black box of how those emergency stay applications proceed, but they they work quickly, and you've seen recent cases where uh, there have been applications to the U.S. Supreme Court, which has then stayed a decision pending, you know, a full hearing on the merits. Um, but it, so that emergency stay application will come soon after if uh, Trump is held ineligible. If he's not held ineligible for the ballot, if he's held, if if the Minnesota Supreme Court rejects this in uh, this case then the petitioners can appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court and they they're not going to be able to seek a, a stay because, uh, you know, there's no action taken by a court that they could seek to set aside. But they could ask for, you know, an emergency um, decision because of the timing of the of the the primary ballot coming up and then the general election ballot within a year, which I think I think the U.S. Supreme Court would take up either the Minnesota case or other states' cases, as I think Secretary Simon hinted at, or consolidate cases in order to make a decision on this theory and just writ large.
1: Which kind of brings me to my last question here. Um, so, in Colorado, where the other uh, case has been filed currently to um, determine that Trump's eligibility on the on the ballot, um, in that case, the Trump um, Trump's team ha- has already requested a move from the state court to the federal court. I, oh, I assume sure. that something like of that would probably happen in Minnesota as well. And if that were to happen, w- is that change of venue something that would happen before or after that November second hearing?
3: Well, they they could they could seek that um, from they can go from the Minnesota Supreme Court. They could seek removal, is what it's called, to the federal district court. Um, but um, I have no I don't know if they're going to do that or not. Obviously, they did in Colorado. Um, And that's up to then the federal court to decide whether they should take it up. Um, You know, frankly, I think that removal would be appropriate if uh, if if it were sought by the Trump campaign, because it is a federal question we're talking about here. The question is not a Minnesota constitutional question or Minnesota state law question. The procedure is Minnesota state law, but the federal question is at issue. The 14th Amendment, Section three, does it bar Trump from office? So. That could happen. If it does happen directly to your question, Becky, I think that um, it would happen. It would happen before the hearing, and then the uh, there would not be a hearing in the Minnesota Supreme Court. And in that case, then you shift over to the federal court system. So you have District of Minnesota, followed by the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, and then the U.S. Supreme Court. One, two, three. So, uh, and and I think I do think that given the nature of the case, they would still move way faster than they normally do and try to rush the uh, 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 an outcome.
1: And would that expedite things kind of bypassing the Minnesota Supreme Court because they don't have that step?
3: No, I don't think so. Because when you, when you appeal, so if it goes to the Minnesota Supreme Court, you know, the way it typically works is that if the state's highest court has made a decision on the merits, then you can appeal directly to the U.S. Supreme Court from there. So, um, if you go to the federal district court, you can seek, I think you can skip the Court of Appeals in an emergency application from the Federal District Court. But, you know, let's just say that given the makeup of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals compared to, you know, Minnesota Supreme Court, it, it's more likely that the Eighth Circuit um, would would move to at least to uh, against this particular petition than the Minnesota Supreme Court. So it is possible that the Trump campaign might say, well, we've got, you know, 17 out of 18 judges in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals that are appointed by Republican presidents. So maybe we should go into federal court and go that way. It's certainly possible they would do that. But um, I don't don't know if that would save them any time. It might be a safer move for them, but I don't know if it would save them any time.
0: James, we want to thank you for joining us today. It's always good to have lawyers on and and people to help explain these issues to us. Where can people track what you do and the advocacy work that you do? Where can people find you at?
3: You can find us on our website at umlc.org, umlc.org. We're the Upper Midwest Law Center. Like I said, we do, uh, non, we're do we a nonprofit 501c3 law firm, and uh, we try to take on cases that are important to Minnesotans against government overreach and other types of abuse.
0: James, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. We hope you'll consider coming back with updates on this story or others that come about and know that you always have a a safe place and a friendly place that you can come and talk about issues that are relevant
3: to our listeners and to yourself. Okay. Hey, thank you all for having me. It's been great to be on. And I hope to see you again soon.
1: Thank you. Bye.
3: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: Becky, we um, did a two-part A side B side. This week, we interviewed Dave Thule and then James Dickey, both talking from different perspectives. Dave, on the political side, James, on the legal side, regarding the lawsuit that has been filed in Minnesota to disqualify President Trump from the ballot. Your take on uh, both interviews and where you think this goes.
1: Um, First, I will just take a, a line from Dave Thule and say it's more about he said um it's not about disqualifying Trump he, his argument was that Trump disqualified himself and this is about eligibility so uh, I'm trying to take in uh, what I learned from some of our guests as um in my vocabulary here but I think it was really interesting hearing um from both individuals I think um I think we chatted a little bit I very impressed with with Thule. he is a good messenger on behalf of of the argument that they are trying to make it is not political. From their standpoint, it is purely about eligibility and the legal arguments. Um, with our recent interview, or last interview here with James Dickey. Um, I, you know, again, a election nerd, history nerd, um, was really impressed by hearing some of the the factors that he was pointing to in, in our nation's history when it comes to these um, legal arguments that are being made. And in particular, one thing that really stood out to me was where he mentioned in the 14th amendment, the offices or individuals that are mentioned um, and the lack of the presidency being mentioned there the writers of our constitution were very particular in their writings and something being included or not being included was because of a reason. Now it does not explicitly say this doesn't apply to the president. So there is that wiggle room there, but I do think that that is an argument that, um, I hadn't heard before when it comes to this, to this situation and, and, and one that I think is, is an interesting thing to look at.
0: I'm not intelligent enough to opine on as you are the legal aspect of this. I can, though, comment on my perspective on Dave Thule's interview. I thought he was concise, precise. He did not waver from his perspective as to why he did this. I was also impressed by the number of times I went back to the political calculation, which is where my mind goes in all of these situations, is to think about it from political the political perspective and what he meant and and how that didn't factor into Dave's reasoning. Dave is a consistent conservative. He is someone who I've agreed with and disagreed with. Dave and I have sparred sometimes in the arena of politics and I was really happy to have him on because I do think that the interview that we had with him showcased his character of who he is. And he is someone who We talked about, and I say this a lot in the podcast, that we talk about guests that we wanted to have on. And Dave Thule is someone who I've wanted to have on because he's put a flag down on his convictions in terms of the party, took a very principled stance on the arrival of Donald Trump. And as someone who is not supportive of Donald Trump, and I know you to a degree are not supportive of him either, it's a safe space that we want to create for people to talk about why they left. And you and I have both have had experiences with Dave Thule in the party process, and he is someone who I think needs to have his voice elevated. I think that he is just a good, principled conservative. And it's unfortunate that the arrival of Donald Trump has pushed people out. And Dave represents a number of people who are no longer a part of the party as much as they should have, they should be and could be. Because of the arrival of Donald Trump and it frustrates me the number of people who Have not felt comfortable inside the party since the arrival of Trump and it was good to have him on I do think that taking the one perspective. I think I can Articulate from the legal side is as much as James was I think precise in that this could be a faster process It is going to still take weeks if not months to resolve we're getting very close, as Secretary Simon articulated in our current interview, our current episode that's out there, when voting is going to start. And this is going to create unnecessary drama and turmoil leading up. And I compl- not to take anything away from Dave and the legal proceedings, but this is what Donald Trump creates. Donald Trump has created this type of situation. And to, to the point, I, I do agree with Dave that he brought this on himself, that people are asking these questions because of what he did. And the problem with Donald Trump's candidacy is something that we've articulated before, Becky, which is that he consumes all of the energy, all of the attention and all of the focus when he's involved. If he is the Republican nominee for president, I stand by my position that he will be a distraction from other candidates that are running for the Senate, for the House and for local offices. It will be very difficult for Republicans, I think, to regain control of the United States Senate I think it will be difficult for them to hold the House of Representatives nationally and in Minnesota. I think it will create drama and turmoil, but that's what Donald Trump does everywhere he goes.
1: Um, I do want to just say one more thing um, about the timing aspect that you mentioned. Um, Steve Simon had mentioned, you know, early voting for the presidential primary does start mid-January. Um, I had recently looked it up because the chairs of the both um, of, of the major parties are the ones that are required to put forth the names that will appear on that presidential ballot. Um, those... That is due to the Secretary of State's office January 2nd. So with this November 2nd hearing, there's really only two months between that and when the Secretary of State's office is requiring those names to be to them, because obviously with primary voting starting on January 19th, that's only two weeks for them to print the tens or hundreds of thousands of ballots or million. I don't know how, you know, of, of ballots to get them mailed out to folks who have required... Absentee voting by mail. Um, and so, I get. I mean, again, I, I say this, I think every episode we have to wait and see, but it is a, an extreme time crunch. And so um, I don't think this is going to be the last time we talk about this over the coming months. Um, and hopefully, whether it's Dave or James or other individuals, we have some more um, insight to bring to, to the conversation.
0: But you also looked it up because you're a nerd. Well, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to be clear about that. That's the main reason you looked it up. Is because you're a nerd.
1: Yeah, uh, that's what real, I do in my really spare inter- time.
0: It was really, really interesting to see um, with Secretary Simon in the room. Who was the biggest election nerd? Because you were really <laughs> out, and it was, it was, it was fun to see. Um, it was a real battle between the nerds. We're gonna transition now to a subject that I'm just so excited to talk about. We're gonna talk about our our Pickham leak. Yeah, Becky, why don't you take why don't you start it off this week? Because I think I think you got a little bit of swagger. I think you got a little bit of cockiness in you. Why don't you start off cockiness
1: and, or confidence?
0: Um, I would yes. say cockiness. I don't I know. I think how... it is
1: a valid point. So this week, week three, um, I am in the lead for uh most correct picks at the point of this episode. Now I think there are still uh, what two games, um, one game left to um to come through but at this point i am am leading you by two points if, if we're just doing the internal battle between me and you i have two more games that i chose i got 10 right so far and you have eight
0: but just to be clear you're still behind you're still trailing
1: it's gonna take some incremental little wins here okay
0: but can we just be clear you're still trailing
1: well let's talk about the we got to look on the horizon are you losing
0: right board. now to me I that's am? what we want to know. Our listeners are showing up to these episodes because they want to know if Michael is beating Becky. And right now, Becky, who is winning?
1: Well, you are, but aren't that's you getting great. a little scared? If I not, get two if you. I get two steps closer this week.
0: No, I'm not scared or concerned about the person who didn't make the right picks the first week. It wasn't my mil- fault. Who's milking that? That's your that's it was your the setup. It, wasn't a, it, was setup. Set- it was. wasn't a setup. It was. It wasn't a setup, no. I feel very comfortable where I am. I'm in a guillotine league that I'm still in. I haven't made it this far in previous years. I'm still in the guillotine league. I have a fantasy football league with my family that I'm crushing right now. I'm beating my sister, Julie. I don't know if I'll win today, but I'm currently beating her. I beat my sister, Susan, earlier this year. I beat my sister Kathleen's husband. I'm just crushing it right now. In fantasy football, you picking up a couple games one week after you screwed up the first week, I'm not going to break any sweat over.
1: It's a really long season, and if I win, if I if I pick up one or two games a week as we go, that's going to flip real quick.
0: But the just but just based on past experience, there's still a clear opportunity for you to have some technical issue where you nope, don't pick anyone. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on a technical screw up once again. You don't make any picture one leak, and the whole season's gone.
1: So the commissioner is is coming out and saying that he's gonna. I, I don't know. I feel like that seems a little sketchy.
0: I'm just look. You can next year, next season, if we're still doing this, you can be the commissioner. Perfect. Okay, done. I don't, I've been a commissioner of multiple leagues, and no one has ever once not to say that the allegation hasn't been made, but none of my family members have been able to prove anything no. whatsoever. To say. <laughs> that I've engaged in any malfeasance for the sake of malfeasance or any tomfoolery or monkey shines. All I've right. done none of that stuff. Okay. On but the, it's it, it's a common theme.
1: On the football front though, I have to, I have to say, so you were at the Vikings game this weekend. Oof. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: It was tough. I went with my son. It was a tough game. I have to say a couple things. Family set season tickets since 1961. We've had season tickets every year that the Vikings have been around. I have been to a lot of Vikings games. Yesterday's crowd on Sunday was just ugly. There was a thickness in the air. They were chippy. They were optimistic at first, I would say, that, and that quickly changed. There was just an ugly demeanor to the crowd. And rightfully, this team is 0-3. There was a lot of sloppy play yesterday. It was a tough game to watch. And there's something going on this season with the Vikings that been that didn't happen last year, which is every time uh, there's an opportunity for them to win, in essence, a, a close play. Last year, they won them. This year, they're losing. But it's a tough situation to be. It's tough to be 0-3 in the NFL and make the playoffs and do well. Sure, it's happened once or twice before, but statistically, this is not looking good for the Vikings. They got a tough uh, couple games coming in. But it was an ugly crowd yesterday, ugly game. But it's important that I introduce and have introduced over the years the emotional drama and pain and trauma of being a Vikings fan to my children. They're experiencing it. Yesterday, my son experienced it. My daughters will likely experience it again later this season when I take them to some games. But I'm a proud Vikings fan. I'm passionate about the team. I got home yesterday. I put on my optimistic since 1961 sweatshirt. And I'm ready for next week, but it's going to be a tough season, I think.
1: Um, and I will close with with one last comparison, um, of of your confidence with the Vikings to your confidence in this league, and and hoping that it, it carries over. Um, on Saturday you did tweet, "Don't be down about the Gophers game. The Vikings play tomorrow. By 3 p.m. tomorrow, we'll all be smiling again." Trust me, hashtag skull with a gif of of Franco Winken. Now, that's pretty. We're talking cocky here. That's that. that. And now, you were wrong with your cocky confidence then, so I'm just going to say, I think you're going to be wrong in our league, too, but time will tell.
0: We'll see. Thank you, Becky.
1: Thank you. Have a good one. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Before we go, show us some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. Again, our website is bbbreakpod.com, and you can find us at Twitter at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky will be returned next week. Have a great one.
0: See ya.